if you're a part of corporate America, everyone has, you know, 10 rules for effective leadership. How do you effectively lead a group of folks, right? Harvard Business Review, I feel like, puts this out every week, a new ten, list of 10, right? And what, what scripture is saying is, well, that's all well and good, and there are components of that that we can take and apply in how we lead and shepherd people. But the, the core of how we um, pursue leadership as, as elders is as God would have you, as God would have you allow his word and his, his thoughts to, to govern how we, how we lead, right? And let's keep looking. So he says... Um, as God would have you, lead as God would have you, and not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not for shameful gain. This is huge, right? Anytime you, um, someone has a position of, of leadership, the temptation is, the sinful temptation, is to allow that leadership to become a, a platform for praise, right? Because because inherently, we're sinful people, and we like when people praise us, right? We like that, that affirmation. And, and what Peter is saying, he's like, no. Not for those reasons. Don't pursue the shepherding, uh, shepherding of my flock, of God's flock, for the, for the sake of praise, for the sake of, for the sake of affirmation. That's not why I've called you to this. And, and finally, the last attribute that he calls elders to is not domineering. Not domineering over, your, over those in your charge. And this is huge. As we'll see as we walk through 1 Peter 5, I believe this phrase, not domineering, kind of grounds what he's calling elders to. So what do you think of when you think of a dominating, domineering personality, right? It's the elder who says, do because I said so, right? Because of who I am and my position, do, right? And Peter's saying, no, don't, don't lead in that way. Lead out of humility. Become the kind of leader that, that people want to follow, not because of what you yell at them, but how you live your life by your example. I mean, if you, if you follow sports at all, especially in football, there's two types of players, right? There's the vocal player who's on the sidelines urging his team on to play better, get it together, why are you not on your A game? And then there's the other player who's the silent leader who, who, who isn't as vocal but, but plays on the field. And by his play, others are stirred to, towards their A game. And that's what Peter is calling elders to. By your example, by how you live your life, live it in such a way that others see it and that they glorify God. And I think um, this, this is the opposite of this domineering personality, as, as we've seen, is the humble one. It's, it's the humble, servant-like leader, right? And I think that's what Peter is calling us towards. Now, the fact of the matter is, pretty much all of us in this room will probably never be elders, right? That this, this may not, never be a call that God places on your heart to, to go and elder, pastor, shepherd a church. So what's the, what's the takeaway here, right? What's the, what's the big takeaway? Well, if you're a member of City Light, hopefully you know that currently City Light has four elders that are responsible, that have the, the leadership role of, of leading City Light. And if you don't know them, they're on, they're on the screen behind me. Um, and I really had to show a lot of restraint, not showing goofier pictures of them. It was really difficult, but didn't want to distract. But these are the four men that God has called, that other church leaders have affirmed, to teach, to lead, and to pray for our church. And there is a handful of other folks in, in development to, to assume this leadership role. And the biggest takeaway for us is to pray for these guys. There, there's, uh, scripture talks at length 
about the responsibility of elder. And one thing in particular, it says that God is going to hold these men accountable for how they lead the church. Their, their leadership and how they direct us as a church, God's going to hold them accountable to that. There, there's a heavy weight. I mean, first, uh, uh, Timothy um, talks about how it's uh, the, how you live your marriage, how you engage with your wife, how you discipline and care for your children, how you handle stressful situations, your personality. All of these are qualifications into what makes a biblical elder. And, and so it's not just how well do you know your word and how well can you teach. It's how do you live your life. So the qualifications are, for elder are strict, and the expectations are strict. And for us as City Light, I think the most compelling thing that we can be doing is be praying for these guys, that they would continue to love and lead us in a way as God would have them out of humility for the good of our church and for God's glory. So I'd encourage you, you know, as you sit down this week, um, as you open up God's word, you know, uh, maybe take a day and, and pray through some of the attributes that you see um, from 1 Peter 5. You know, pray that they would shepherd. Uh, pray that the, the oversight that they um, exercise would be not under compulsion, but willingly. Pray that they would lead out of humility. Pray that for these guys. For our sake, for the sake of City Light Church, for the sake of Northwest Philadelphia, hold these men up in prayer. I think that's the most compelling thing that we could be doing for them. But it's not just elders that he's talking to. Who else is he talking to? Take a look at 1 Peter 5, uh, verse 5 with me. He says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So the second group of people that Peter's addressing is, is us, right? Likewise, all of you who are younger. So likewise refers to, all right, what was I just talking about? I was just talking about um, leading and, and exercising humility in how you, how you lead. So likewise, in that same spirit of humility... You who are younger, that is, you who aren't elders, that means basically the rest of us, be subject to the elders. Now, i got to stop here, because as soon as we see that, um, it causes us a little pause, right? What's Peter saying here? He's saying, be subject to the elders. And, and listen, I understand that's kind of a hard pill for us to, follow, to swallow, right? Be subject to our elders. Because the, the whole idea of submission in our culture is... Is, it's the complete opposite direction of what you want to be doing with your life, right? Because submission, as the culture tells us, well, submission makes you weak. Submission makes you voiceless. Submission leads to oppression. That's the exact opposite thing you want to be doing. But I believe what Scripture is saying, how Scripture devi- defines biblical submission, is very different than how we tend to view it. Biblical submission has undergirding all of it this firm conviction that above all, God is sovereign. That God is in control of all. So, so when, we, when we looked at a few weeks ago um, how we as uh, Christians are to engage with government, Peter called us to, to submit to the authorities. And, and we struggle with that, right? But, but undergirding that submission is a recognition that these authorities that have been put in place, the only reason they're there is because God has allowed them to be there. The only reason that they are in positions of power is because God has allowed it. And so perhaps allow our, our high view of God, his sovereignty and his involvement in all things, to dictate how we engage with 
authorities. Or a couple weeks ago, we looked at marriage and what that looks like, right? And the notion of, of wives submitting to husbands as, and husbands submitting to Christ is a ridiculous notion in our day and age, right? But I believe what Scripture is saying is if we believe that God is sovereign, if we believe that he is good, if, believe, if we believe that he has very intentionally brought um, two people together, do we believe that he is faithful to work in it? Do, are, do we believe that he is faithful to, to lead one and to, to lead them both? I believe that there is no idea of biblical submission unless we fully and embrace God's sovereignty overall. And so as we, as we look at you know, um, elders and what it looks like to submit to elders, I believe that there's no biblical submission to elders within our church unless we believe that it's God who builds this church. If you've been with City Light for a while, um, I don't know, months ago, maybe years ago, we did a series called Jesus Builds This Church. And the whole series was about how Jesus, just, uh, perhaps through our strategies and processes, but it is God who builds this church, right? He, he builds, he adds to the number, and we looked at various ways God does that. Um, but the biggest takeaway was that Jesus is building his church, and he's adding to it, and he's removing from it. So as we think about God's sovereignty, I think, and, and we think about what it looks like to, to submit to elders, as, as 1 Peter 5 is calling us to do, I think the biggest takeaway is, do I really believe that God is building his church? Do I really believe that God is putting into place and calling men to lead his church as he sees fit? Do I believe that he is removing from positions of authority those who abuse their powers? Do I really believe that it is ultimately God, not us, that builds the church of God? And I think if we, if we begin to ask ourselves that question, if we begin to really ask ourselves the question, do I believe in God's sovereignty or is that a distant idea that I like to believe in certain situations but not when it hits home for me? I think if we begin to ask ourselves that question, I think what we'll see is that God is faithful in building his church. He is faithful in, in, in putting in place elders to, to lead us and to shepherd us and to protect us from potential dangers around us. And he is faithful to use these men to encourage and, and love on us and, and comfort us. So biblical submission to our elders is only possible if we trust in God. And trust in God is only possible if in humility we stop seeing ourselves as gods of our own world and we trust the God who's leading us. So let's look at, uh, continue in verse 5. So Peter says um, in verse 5, So clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So this humility that we see, it grounds what we saw earlier, um, this, biblical, uh, this biblical call to submission. But allow that last little bit of verse 5 to sit with you. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God, the creator of everything, the one who allows the sun to rise and set, that very same God says he opposes the proud. I mean, if that's not unsettling, I don't know what is, right? The God of the universe is in active opposition to those who are of a proud and arrogant spirit. I mean, that, that ought to humble us, right? If the God of the universe is actively opposed to those who are of proud spirit. So we've seen that you know, God is calling uh, towards humility, both elders to lead out of humility, and us to both submit and trust the God who builds this church in humility. 
But what does that look like? What does the humble life consist of? In verses 6 and 7, we'll see two ways that Peter describes what that looks like. By casting and covering. Let me read uh, verses 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, therefore being because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties onto him, on him because he cares for you. Now, depending on like, the, the version of Scripture that you have, sometimes verses 6 and 7 are, are, are two separate sentences, but everything I've read, most modern translations are saying that that actually should be one single thought. So humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so at the proper time he might exalt you, casting all your anxieties onto him. Humble yourself, perhaps, by casting your anxieties onto him. Humble yourself by casting. So the word cast, um, it, it's to mean to throw off. When, when a fisherman casts his net, he throws it out. The, the same word cast is used um, when Jesus is entering Jerusalem, the triumphal entry, and the disciples take their garments off and they cast it onto the colt for Jesus to sit atop. It's that same image of, of throwing it off. So Peter's saying, all right, cast off your anxieties. Where? Onto God. But all this time, Peter's been talking about humility, right? Lead out of humility, submit um, um, grounded in humility. What, why all of a sudden does he bring anxiety into this? What does that have to do with anything? Uh, when Blessie and I got married, uh, we went to Italy for our honeymoon. And this was Blessie's dream. She always wanted to go. And so we decided to take a two-week trip uh, to Italy. We're going to go to Venice, Florence, and Rome. Um, so, you know, after you get married, you're kind of in this euphoric, you're not a care in the world, you're certainly not thinking about the world around you. And so that was just kind of our reality. So we're, we're on the plane, and we land in, in Venice, and we're, I'm walking down the jetway, Skywalk, whatever they call it, and I step foot into Marco Polo Airport, of all airports in Venice. And then it hits me. All the signs around me Everyone around me, everything is in Italian. I don't speak a lick of Italian. I don't know how to say hello. I don't know how to say goodbye. I don't know how to hail for a taxi. I don't know any of this. I don't even know where my hotel is. It's thoroughly overwhelming. I know I have a hotel because I booked that on like TripAdvisor, a website with English words. But like, I am completely lost and out of my realm. And in that moment, I was just overwhelmed with anxiety and fear. Because just days earlier, I vowed to love and care for and provide and protect this, my new wife. And now I'm in Venice, Italy, and I don't have a clue how to do anything. And in that moment, I was just overwhelmed. Because I was forced to admit that I don't have what it takes to love and care for and protect my spouse in that moment. I didn't even know how to get to a hotel. And, and that, hum, that humbling experience, just unfortunately, blessed will tell you, that, uh, that sin was with me for those two weeks. Uh, as we you know, adventured through, through, uh, through Italy, every interaction where I had to engage with someone who didn't speak English and me with my like, Italian-English dictionary, which wasn't helping at all, by the way, uh, I was wrought with anxiety. I was fearful. I was fearful because I didn't know how to protect her, how to lead her to safety. And I think that's what Peter is getting at here. When, when he says, listen, being humble and humility is being able to admit you don't necessarily have what it takes. You, you're not necessarily good enough. You can't speak Italian. And that's going to cause some anxiety in us. 
being having to admit that, right? I mean, for those of us who are, you know, uh, if you're working and yet you're you've been assigned to a big project and weeks go by, you have to admit to your boss that I don't really know how to do this. I I don't have what it takes. That's humbling, right? That's anxiety-inducing, and that's what Peter's calling us to. It's like, listen, take those very real, sometimes overwhelming anxieties, those cares, and cast them onto God. Cast them onto God. He's not not dismissing them. He's not saying that they're they're stupid and they're not worth considering. They're saying that they, they may very well be real and cast them onto God. And then what? And then take cover. The second attribute of the humble life is to cover yourself under his mighty hand. You see that in, uh, in verse uh, 6. You know, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he might exalt you. So the mighty hand of God, this, this phrase is used in Scripture, primarily in the Old Testament, to describe God leading his Israel, the Israelites out of Egypt, right? He says... Uh, with, a great and, uh, with great power and a mighty hand, God delivered Israel out of Egypt. That great power and mighty hand, that, that phrase comes up quite a bit. And, and what Peter's saying is, listen, cast your anxieties onto God and take refuge under his great power and mighty hand. The, the, the same hands that led my people out of Egypt, the, those same mighty delivering hands are available to you, child. Come and take refuge. Come and take refuge under my more than capable hands. Because why? It's, it's, it's a whole lot more than because I can, because it's technically feasible, because you know, I'm really strong enough and that's a smart place for you to find refuge. No, that's not what God's saying is find refuge under my mighty hand because I care for you. I care for you. I mean, this blew, my, blew me away when I allowed this to mess with me. So the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of David and Daniel, the God of Peter, is our God. This same God who's proven his faithfulness, who's been with the saints of old, is our God. And he says, cast those anxieties onto me because I care for you. I've, I've, I've shown my history of caring for my children. Cast them onto me because I care for you. That, that ought to cause us pause when we think of who it is, is that is calling us to give me those burdens, give me those things that weigh you down and cast them onto me. It's, it's the God of everything, the God of the universe, the God that allows and sustains breath even this moment. That same God says, come to me. I care about you. And, and the struggle here, listen, I, I know it, very well. The struggle for most of us is, yeah, God cares about me at the macro level. He cares about, sure, he cares about my soul and my eternity, but he doesn't care about me at the micro level. He doesn't really care about um, that meeting that I have tomorrow that's, that I'm not prepared for. He doesn't really care that I don't think I'm going to be able to pay my bills this week or this month. He doesn't really care about me at that level. And, and listen, Peter says, like, expect those lies to be playing back in your head. Because in, in verse uh, 8 through 9, he says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. 
Guys, he's on the prowl. I mean, this is, this is quite the image, right, of, of Peter saying that um, your adversary, the devil, is on the prowl. Even as you hear the words that the God of the universe cares for you, uh, we're still tempted to believe that there are certain areas of our life that God doesn't really care for us, right? That he's not going to quite pull through. And it's those, it's those, those instances that, are being, that are, we're replaying in our mind that he really doesn't care about this. Those things that cause us anxiety, we're tempted not to believe that he's not really in that. And what Peter's urging us to is to be sober-minded and be watchful as, as these thoughts come to mind, as even now as we sit here and as we hear that God cares for us and we're tempted to believe certain situations where he's not really caring for us. Uh, to, to fight those lies is what Peter's calling us towards. Be watchful, be sober-minded. Don't allow those lies or those limitations of God to take root in your life. And finally, what we'll see here is God cares for us in the here and now. He cares for us at the micro level, and he cares for us at the macro level, right? God's care for you and for us will be manifested in exaltation, right? That exaltation is coming. We see it in verse 4, um, which we didn't really talk a whole lot about, but it says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So he's talking to a, a group of elders who themselves are suffering, and they're trying to lead a group of people who are experiencing a season of suffering, and, and they're weary, and they're tired, and they're drained, and he's encouraging them, listen, your reward, your striving will be, will be forthcoming. It's coming. Be encouraged by this, elders. It's coming. And he says it again in, um, in verse uh, 6. It says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he might exalt you. At the proper time, God may exalt you. And this is fascinating for so many reasons. We see it again in verse 10 that, you know, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Um, so this at the proper time, uh, after you suffered a little while, we saw it again uh, earlier in 1 Peter 1, there's this notion of, there's a periodicity, right? There's a season that God allows his children to be where he leads us through seasons of difficulty, through seasons of trial. Right? There, there, there's at the proper time, he, God, will exalt you. And this, is, this was fascinating to me because oftentimes when we think of a reprieve from suffering and a reprieve from the, just the hard times of life, we, we want it now because certainly when God has it is not, not the right time, right? That's what we, we tell ourselves. And we want it by our own strivings, right? We want to be able to lift ourselves up out of the mess, out of the suffering, out of the difficulty. And what Peter's saying here is like, no, after you've suffered a little while, as God defines a little while, God himself, the one who cares for you, will be there for you, will exalt you, will lift you up out of that. And the fact of the matter is, you know, so we don't get confused here, the fact of the matter is um, that, that exaltation, that may never happen in this life for some of us. Right? Some of us may be in a season of, of suffering and difficulty, and, and God is saying that that's what I'm calling you towards. And, and, we, and we pray and we hope for a relief from that, but, but God may be leading us through that for a longer season than, than we would want. And in and through that, we have to fight to remember and believe that God is faithful in that. That the sovereign God of the universe who, uh, who, who loves his children, who, has said, who says he cares for you, is leading us through these seasons. That's a huge deal for us to understand. 
So therefore, the God who cares for you in that here and now, that same God promises deliverance and exaltation. So finally, City Light, the, the without a doubt proof that this God that cares for you, the without a doubt proof that he cares for you is, is we see it in, in verse 10. After you suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He's called you into, uh, into uh, eternal glory in Christ. It's by Jesus that any of this becomes possible, right? That God's care was most manifested by sending his son. That Christ has shown for us the greatest example of humility by lowering himself to become a man, to live amidst a broken and rebellious people. And then he put that radical, lavish care on display on the cross. It's because Jesus has, has shown God's care for us. God says, I care for you. Look, I killed my son for you. If that's not a show of care, what, 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 could, what could be, right? And, and I think what happens when we, we tend to minimize just what Christ did on the cross when we magnify our, our struggles. Yeah, so, so God killed his son as, as a substitutionary payment for my sin. He might have cared there, but he doesn't really care about this situation. This is a way bigger deal. And I think what we, we do is we minimize just how costly that was for Jesus. Just how, how, how painful that was to have the father turn, her, turn his back on the son. That's a huge deal. And I think, and I think that grounds this, this lavish care that we need to be soaking ourselves in and reminding ourselves of. So much of this is just a, a battle of the mind. Remind yourself of this. So we can humble ourselves we can cast our cares. We can seek cover all and only because we're cared for. And that care is manifested of Jesus. Because of Jesus, because of his sacrifice in our place, we can stand as exiles confidently because we know that we're cared for eternally and today. In the here and now, we're cared for. Verse 